Uh, well, friends, I'm not sure whether you've run a marathon before. Uh, I certainly haven't run a marathon before, as uh, you can probably see. But uh, I have a friend who runs ultra marathons. Uh, he's one of those crazy people for whom uh, the normal 42-kilometer marathon is just not enough. And so he competes in ultra-marathons, sometimes running for more than 100 kilometers at a time. And uh, he tells me that the hardest part of the run is when you actually start to hit the wall uh, in the middle of a race. Uh, That's when in the middle of the race you start to feel weary and you start to feel fatigued and mentally you just want to give up. Uh, Now, we've been looking at the topic of faith, as Isaac mentioned, uh, for the last two weeks. Uh, In week one, we saw that biblical faith is not a leap in the dark. Uh, It's being fully convinced that God is both willing and able to do the things that he has promised, because he has shown himself to be faithful. Uh, In week two, we saw that biblical faith is the way that we um, come to be made right with God. It is the empty hands through which we receive God's gift of salvation and all his benefits to us. Uh, But today, as we finish our series, uh, we're going to look at what the life of faith then looks like. What the life of faith looks like. And I think Hebrews 11 is a perfect passage to look at because here... The writer of Hebrews is writing to a group of Christians who are starting to hit the wall. Uh, When you read through the book of Hebrews, uh, it's obvious that some of these Christian people uh, are just feeling weary in their Christian lives. Uh, Others are simply assuming that things are okay with God, even though they stubbornly refuse to listen to his word. Still, others are dazzled by the things of this world and they are tempted to give up their eternal inheritance for the things that dazzle them in this world, the toys and the temporary joys that this world has to offer. Uh, I'd be surprised if uh, all of us haven't felt such temptations at some stage in our Christian life. Uh, Perhaps we're here this morning and we're feeling a bit like this. But what does a life of faith look like in the midst of such challenges? Uh, That's the question we're going to explore together this morning. Uh, Now, friends, uh, you'll notice there that Hebrews 11 is a long catalogue of great heroes in the Old Testament who live their lives by faith. Uh, The phrase, by faith, you would have noticed, uh, is repeated over and over again in that chapter. Uh, Some commentators call uh, this chapter the Bible's Hall of Fame. Uh, I don't know whether you're into the tennis, uh, but tonight uh, two men are going to play in the Wimbledon finals. And uh, I love the way the finalists make their way onto centre court. Uh, they actually walk down this corridor where all along uh, the walls of the corridor are actually photos of past champions uh, who have uh, won the championship. 
Uh, you see, it's meant to inspire the finalists to do their best so that they can be where these champions were. Uh, Hebrews 11 is a bit like that. Uh, as we look to the great ones of faith, we're meant to be inspired so that we can do the same. But what is the life of faith like? What is the life of faith like? Uh, we won't be able to tease out everything uh, in chapter 11 today. Uh, it's a great shame because it's such a rich chapter. But uh, I want you to see there, firstly, that the life of faith involves active obedience to God's word. The life of faith involves active obedience to God's word. Uh, you can see it there from verse 4. Um, By faith, Abel offers an acceptable sacrifice. Uh, Enoch walks with God. Noah actually builds an ark. Moses gives up the pleasures of Egypt and confronts the might of uh, the world leader, Pharaoh himself, to lead God's people out of slavery. But it's not as though these heroes of the faith were active in faith just at one point in their life. You know, sometimes Christians uh, can think that if we put our faith in, in God as a Christian, uh, that, that's the moment that we put our faith in God, but then you can go, you know, put yourself on autopilot for the rest of your life. No, these heroes of the faith had a lifestyle of active obedience to God. They worked hard. They put in the effort. They continually acted in response to what God was saying to them. Uh, that's the nature of genuine faith, isn't it? Uh, if I told you uh, that the first person um, to come up here to me, um, will, I will give to them $10. Well, it's the one who genuinely has faith in my word who will actually come up and get it from me, isn't it? Uh, do we have any takers here this morning? Um, well, Sam's not actually coming up, so he doesn't actually have a lot of faith in me. Um, in fact, no one actually has faith in me, which is a great shame, because I actually bought uh, $10 to give to you. But you see, uh, genuine biblical faith is a bit like that, isn't it? Um, it's actually worked out in a lifestyle of active obedience to God's word. Uh, in the very next book of the New Testament, James says that faith without works is dead. Yes, we are saved by faith alone, but if that faith is not accompanied by a lifestyle of active obedience, then you cannot claim to have genuine faith, says James. It is a dead faith. Now, further... Notice that a life of faith is active in obedience now. You know, we can be such good procrastinators, don't you think, uh, when it comes to the Christian life? Uh, we sometimes think that we will be active in our Christian life uh, just a little bit later uh, when conditions are just right. I'll just wait until I get settled in my career. I'll just wait until my kids are grown up. I'll just wait until I have a little bit more time and a little bit more space in my life to start to be obedient and active in my walk with God. 
Well, friends, that is not faith, is it? We actually have God's word to us now. And so what are we waiting for? Genuine biblical faith works itself out in a lifestyle of active obedience now. But the second thing I want you to see about the life of faith is that it is shaped by the future. Uh, What you and I do now is always shaped by what we think or what we hope will happen in the future, isn't it? Uh, Think about the student who is preparing for that dreaded exam day or the worker preparing to go on that wonderful holiday or that couple preparing for their wedding day. And so, similarly, the life of faith is shaped by what God has said to us about the future. Uh, You can see it there in verse 1, chapter 11, verse 1. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. In fact, uh, when we look through the heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11, we see that their lives were shaped by what God had promised about the future. And so, for example, Noah started to build this ark because God had promised that the flood will happen in the future. Abraham left his home because God had promised an inheritance in the promised land in the future. Moses was prepared to go to Pharaoh because God had promised him a future deliverance. You see, the person of faith looks to the future, trusting that what God has said will happen, will happen. So that their lives and values and priorities are all shaped by future realities. Uh, Friends, this is why hedonism is a profoundly hopeless and faithless philosophy of life. Uh, Hedonism... um, is, is the idea of living for temporary pleasures. Uh, it's the, the bucket list mentality that says, I need to experience every possible pleasure now before I die. It's a hopeless philosophy of life because underneath it all is the belief that this world is all there is. There is no future beyond the grave. And so I might as well experience everything in this world that this world has to offer now before I die. And yet, friends, Christians are the ones who have been given extraordinary promises by God about the future. Listen, for example, to 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 to 10. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 to 10. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 to 10. Uh, If anyone has a pew Bible, uh, if you can just shout out what page that's in, that might be helpful for us. 1019. 1019. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 to 10. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, 
not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. In other words, God says that there will be a great day of judgment in the future. On that day, everything that does not belong to the kingdom of God will be destroyed, including those who have not turned to the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour before that day. It is only those who repent and turn to Jesus who will live forever in the glorious kingdom in the new creation. And so, living by faith means having our lives and our values and our priorities shaped by this future and certain reality that God speaks to us about. Uh, Friends, I I think life of faith always involves taking risks. Um, You know, I've been watching MasterChef for a little while now, and uh, I've noticed that many of the contestants have risked it all to be on this show. Uh, You see, because they believe in a future in food, well, they've left their careers. They're prepared to leave their families for a little while. They've left the things that make their life secure in order to chase their future. But friends, if people believe in food that much in order to risk uh, their careers and to risk their lives then how much more do you think Christians ought to take risks for the sake of the future that God has promised us? What risks are you and I taking because we have faith in God's promised future? For some of us, will we risk our careers by giving it up and training for Christian ministry? For others of us, Will we risk our reputations in speaking to our friends or colleagues about the future glory that Jesus speaks about? For others, will we risk our financial security and stability in order to put our money to work for the things that matter? For others of us, will we risk our safety and go to a country hostile to the gospel to tell people there about Jesus. You see, a life of faith involves risking the present because we trust in God's future. And the thing is that whenever we risk and perhaps even lose now the things that are precious to us, well, we have a God who underwrites that risk and promises that we will never miss out, for a glorious future is coming. What are you risking in order to live a life of faith, friends? Are you playing it safe in your Christian life? Are you too afraid to do anything risky because of the the longing for stability and security in this world? Or are you willing to take risks to make your life less comfortable and less secure because you believe in the great security of God's promised future.
And so how do we live this life of faith? How do we live this life of faith? Well, as we go into Hebrews 12, uh, you'll notice that the image there changes from the Hall of Fame to an athletic stadium. Uh, In this stadium, uh, you are the one uh, on the track, and your job and my job is to run. Uh, You look up at, uh, at the stands, and you see that you are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, all the heroes of the faith in the stands that we saw in chapter 1 who are cheering you on in this race. But did you notice what the writer of Hebrews says about how to run this race well? You run this race well, he says, by laying aside all those things that are the enemies of faith. Laying aside all those things that are the enemies of faith. Let's pick it up from chapter 12, verse 1. Uh, Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Uh, Now, you can understand why the writer would say that we need to lay aside sin, can't you? For sin is the very opposite of faith. Uh, By the way, I don't think the writer of Hebrews is speaking here about uh, individual sins in our life. Uh, But I think he's speaking about the attitude of sin that arrogantly and proudly ignores the word of God. Uh, And friends, I just want to say that if it is our practice, our regular practice, to only listen to God's word for the 30 minutes on a Sunday during the sermon and perhaps an hour in the middle of the week uh, in our Bible studies, then I think this might be speaking about you. It would be a pretty strange relationship, don't you think, if I only listened to my wife for a little bit on a Sunday and perhaps once a week, don't you think? And so similarly, if that's the kind of relationship we have with God, then it's probably because something is wrong. If God speaks to us in his word, the Bible, and we are not reading this and growing in it daily, then it's probably because of our pride and our arrogance and our foolish desire not to listen to God's word. It's very hard to live a life of genuine faith when we are not actually listening to the voice of God that we are to have faith in, friends. In fact, I think it's very possible to be very involved at church and do all the things that we do at church and yet, in reality, be proudly and arrogantly ignoring what God has to say to us. And so if that's you, the writer of Hebrews says, get rid of that sin. Make some changes. Seek help. Ask somebody to read the Bible together with you more regularly. But lay that sin aside. But notice that it's not just sin, but every weight that we are to lay aside. I think the weight that the writer of Hebrews is talking about here are those things that are not in themselves sinful, 
but the things that can nevertheless distract us from God and weigh us down and cause fatigue in our faith because, well, they take us away from uh, concentrating on God and what he has to say. It's similar to what Jesus says in the parable of the four soils where some of the seed falls among thorns and, and the thorns grow up and choke the life out of the seed. Uh, What might some of these things be that weigh us down? Well, uh, Bryson Smith, uh, who wrote this uh, book called Faith, which we were selling last week, uh, it's an excellent book, uh, and I highly recommend it, but uh, this is what he says. Uh, He says, walk into any news agency, look at the sort of magazines available, and you'll see lots of examples of what some of these weights might be. Aircraft, art, beauty, bikes, boats... Books, cameras, caravans, careers, cars, celebrities, computers, cooking, dance, drama, drawing, family, fashion, fitness, food, furniture, gadgets, gardening, hi-fi equipment, hobbies, holidays, homes, marriages, uh, money, movie, music, pets, pop culture, real estate, romance, sex, shopping, sports, surfing, television, trains, wine... And the list goes on. Uh, I mentioned earlier uh, my friend who runs ultra marathons. Uh, whenever he runs a race, uh, he simply strips down to the barest essentials. Uh, he wears a, a little singlet. Uh, he wears uh, the shortest of shorts. He wears the lightest of shoes. He wants to get rid of anything heavy that will weigh him down for the run. Uh, I have another friend uh, who's a serious cyclist. I have lots of friends who are serious about sport. Uh, Whenever this guy races, uh, he makes sure that there is nothing that will slow him down. He invests in the lightest of bikes. Uh, He wears lycra. You know, he even shaves his legs so that there won't be any wind resistance when he rides. You see, that's what the writer of the Hebrews is saying here, isn't it? Get rid of anything that might be weighing you down or hindering or distracting you from the Christian life. Now, what are the things that are distracting you, friends? Is it your hobbies? Is it your children's education? Is it that long overseas trip that's going to take you away from ministry? Uh, Is it sport that we, 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 we always find time to play, but we never find time for ministry. Well, get rid of those things, says God. That's what he's saying here, isn't it? Will you lay them aside so that you can run well? Uh, well, friends, uh, we've been looking at how to live a life of faith. And the final thing that the writer of Hebrews says in our passage this morning is that the way to run this race, uh, as Sam uh, mentioned in the kids' talk this morning, is to look to Jesus, to look to Jesus. Uh, In chapter 11, uh, we walk through the Bible's Hall of Fame and we were inspired by heroes of the faith. But here we are encouraged to look to Jesus as the greatest hero of faith, and the one who is most important for our life of faith. 
So let's pick it up from uh, chapter 12, verse 1 again. Chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Uh, I just find this uh, such a wonderfully comforting uh, few verses, uh, don't you think? Uh, Jesus is the founder of our faith. Uh, A founder is somebody who creates something, isn't it? Uh, Bill Gates is the founder of Microsoft. Walt Disney is the founder of Disneyland. Jesus is the founder of my faith because his life and his death and his resurrection has created my faith and your faith. You see, faith is not my work. It is a gift of God. It is a gift of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. But not only is Jesus the founder of our faith, but he is also the perfecter of our faith. In other words, Jesus is the one who will carry our faith to its completion, to its end goal, to glory itself. He is the one who lived the perfect life of faith. He is the one who trusted his Father even through the darkness of the cross. He is the one who rose again to life to be seated at God's right hand so as to clear the way for you and and me to be saved and for us to live a life of faith. And so as we look to him and depend on him in our lives, then he will carry our faith to its end goal, even during the difficult and dark times in our lives when we feel spiritually weary or are facing all sorts of different temptations in our lives. Uh, On Wednesday, we held a funeral for our dear brother John Sung, who had run this race to the end. Uh, Two things became very obvious to me over those two weeks. Uh, John was a flawed man, like all the heroes of the faith, Uh, that is mentioned in chapter 11. But he also lived a life of faith, of active obedience to God's word, living in light of God's promised future. Uh, I met people uh, over the last two weeks who had come to faith in Jesus because John had told them the gospel. I met work colleagues who told me of the way He always put his Christian commitments ahead of work and sport and other things. Uh, Even though he was managing huge projects uh, during the week, uh, he was at church here early every Sunday, sweeping the floors and encouraging people. I know that he was a hero to many of us. And I think it's right that people like that inspire us to live a life of faith. 
But even more, the writer of Hebrews tells us of Jesus. He is the one who lived the life of perfect faith. He is the one who makes your faith and my faith possible. He is the one who promises to carry our faith to its end goal and destination. And so, brothers and sisters, uh, let's run this race together, laying aside everything and anything that hinders our faith with eyes only for Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks that you are a God who has made great and precious promises to us in the Gospel. And we thank you that you have promised us salvation and a glorious future in the new creation. And so, Father, we pray that you would strengthen our faith in your word of promise. Help us, Father, to live by faith each day, gladly obeying the things that you tell us in your word. Help us to shape our lives and our values and our priorities around your promised future. Uh, Help us to take risks and be willing to lay aside every weight and sin that hinders us. And most of all, Father, we thank you for your Son, in whom all your promises find their yes and amen. We pray that you would help us to conduct to him and depend on him, not only in the light, but even more in the darkness, trusting that he will complete our faith and lead us into your eternal kingdom. And we pray these things in his mighty name. Amen.